Peace to you. Welcome back to The Naked Truth and thank you for joining me. It's a Saturday night, so we're going to pick up what we left off in the Gospels, the fourth Gospel in the Bible, Book of John, and we're to chapter 7. If you want to read along with me, let's begin with verse 1. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, where he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. So, talking about Jesus, he's on the move and he's uh, in the area of Galilee and he's already being hunted. We're only on the seventh chapter and he's already being hunted by the religious leaders. They're not out trying to save souls or lead people to God. They're out trying to cite people with their law enforcement so that they can get paid and also trying to put a hit out on Jesus, trying to kill him. And um, when it says um, Jews in this verse, if you're reading the New King James Version, um, like I'm doing, that's the one I'm using, uh, when it says Jews in this verse, it's referring to the ruling authorities, not authorities. It's not talking about uh, the people who live in Judea, and it's not talking about all the 12 tribes collectively, as they're called. It's talking about specifically the ruling authorities, meaning the, the Bible thumpers, the religious leaders, uh, and they're out to get him. Verse 2, now the Jews' Feast of Tabernacles was at hand. So uh, the Feast of Tabernacles is one of the holidays, um, that's what the feasts are, um, that are mentioned in the Old Testament. Um, and this is it being celebrated now into the new. Verse 3, his brothers therefore said to him, depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you're doing. So Jesus has brothers, he has sisters, he had a mama, he had a daddy, um, you know, earthly daddy. Um, so even though preachers will thump a Bible and say Mary was a perpetual virgin, that's obviously a lie. Jesus had brothers and sisters. It's possible they were siblings. His, um, that Joseph, his, I guess, stepfather would be the best way to, uh, to call, to think of him. Um, it's possible he had other kids and even likely he had other kids before he married Mary, uh, Jesus' mother, Mary. Um, but almost certainly these are talking about his brothers and sisters, whether they're half brothers, step brothers and sisters or not. He had brothers and sisters. And one of them is telling Jesus, trying to give Jesus uh, directions on what he should be doing, telling him that he should go ahead and spread the news. He should go ahead and go viral and let everybody know what he's up to. Verse four, for no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. So if these are Jesus' full, bro full blood brothers and sisters, or even if they're only half brothers and sisters, they most most likely grew up with him and saw some of the miracles that he did even as a kid that are mentioned in other scriptures outside of the Bible. It's not all scripture made it into the Bible, uh, like the Gospel of Thomas, for instance, uh, the infancy gospel um, that talks about Jesus childhood before the events that are mentioned in the Bible. And if you don't know those or haven't looked those up, you can see them online. They're um, available at, if you do a search for early Christian writings, I think that's even the name of the website. You can go there and see all sorts of different scriptures and uh, that didn't make it into the Bible and scriptures outside uh, beyond Christianity that people look to in um, past times um, as the word of God, even though, as we just read the letter, Christians believe it to be, if Jesus didn't say it, it's not necessarily the word of God. 
and I personally believe if Jesus didn't say it, it's not the word of God. It may be good advice. It may be music to your ears, um, but it doesn't make it the word of God. Um, Jesus specifically came to bring us the word of God and tells us that no one has heard that he, when he was confronted by these same, some of these same religious Bible thumping, religious hypocritical people, he would tell them that you've neither heard God's voice at any time nor seen his form. And he said again and again, that no one has seen God at any time. So um, for people in the other scriptures to say, they wrestled with God and beat God in a wrestling match, or fed God, or talked with God, or sat down with God face to face. It's all there in the Bible. It's all scripture. But according to Jesus, who's our leader as Christians, it's just not true. It's just not the case. Or there's some sort of missing link that makes it possibly true. Um, but in the Bible, it's clearly not the case. Uh, but as always, believe what you want. But his brothers basically are saying, look, if you have these powers, why don't you just go ahead and flex them and let everybody know so you can draw everybody to you by your magic tricks. Um, but um, that's not what Jesus is about. And let's see how he responds to it. Because they could be saying it because they believe in his uh, majesty, his divinity, or they could be saying it because they don't believe and they want to see for themselves, uh, maybe even out of jealousy. Uh, at the fact that he's able to be in touch with God and perform these miraculous things. It's not clear. Let's see how it goes. When it comes to brothers and sisters, from my own experience, one of the scriptures that's not Christian, it's not red letter, but it is true, or it seems to be true, is one of the scriptures, I think it's either Proverbs or Ecclesiastes, that a brother is born for adversity and a friend loves at all times. So, it's very true. I have 11 or 12, there's 12 of us siblings, brothers and sisters, haves and otherwise. And trust me, they are indeed born for adversity. I've had plenty of issues with them just as much as you have, or maybe not as much, but similar to I've had with strangers. So um, that scripture seems very true to me. But again, it doesn't that doesn't make it gospel moving on verse 5 for even his brothers did not believe in him so according to the narrator here presumably john he's saying uh, john the, the book the that the name that the book of john is named after is saying that his brothers didn't believe in him and john was one of the disciples um this isn't john the baptist it's john the apostle um, and he's saying that the brothers didn't believe in Jesus. Verse six, then Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. So Jesus is replying to them, urging him to go ahead and flex and show himself to be supernatural by telling them it's not his time, but the time is always good for them, saying he's on a different timeline than they are. And I think that's because Jesus and also by extension, we as Christians, true believer, believing Christians, are timeless though our flesh may age um as other people's do i think what jesus experiences is timelessness he can operate and live outside of time if you're an x-men fan um the animated series but maybe even the movies uh the animated series did an uh, interesting portrayal of time when apocalypse one of the super villains 
stepped outside and it, it, X-Men is full of biblical illusion, by the way, um, as many other things in pop culture are. But Apocalypse himself, um, who again and again tries to bring about the end of the world, um, steps outside of time and exists outside of time and is able to uh, 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 observe different things throughout time. And again, it's just animation. It's just uh, um, pop culture, but it's a, it, it can give a good idea of what it may be like for um, people to exist outside of time and be timeless. But whatever the case may be, Jesus is telling them, um, I'm not on the same timeline that you are. Verse 7, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. So Jesus is saying the world won't have any problem with his brothers, so they can go ahead and go up to the feast. But it's not time for him to head up or reveal himself as the supernatural being he is because he knows they're haters in the world. The world will love them um, because they're not trying to oppose the systems of the world. Jesus, on the other hand, uh, his mission, it seems, at least part of it, besides offering salvation to whosoever will, whomsoever will, is also revealing the fact that uh, of what really is righteous and what's really wicked, what's truly good and what's truly evil. And he clearly, in by verse 7, is letting us know and letting them know that his testimony again and again is that the works of the world are evil. Verse 8, you go up to this feast. I'm not yet going up to this feast. for My time is not yet fully come. So Jesus is, is closing out his response to them by letting them know, you go do your thing. I'm on my own timeline. And when the time is right, then I'll do what I have to do. Verse 9, when he had said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. So he spoke his peace and he stayed put. Verse 10, but when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. So again, this isn't red letter. This is the narrator, again, presumably John, saying that after the, the brothers, Jesus' siblings, went on up to the feast, the holiday, the festival, then Jesus went on up separately from them, but not openly, but in secret. Verse 11, then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, where is he? So um, when it says Jews here, it could be talking about any of the inhabitants of the area, but it's probably talking again about the religious leaders because that's who's hunting him, although he's very popular and sought after by people in general. So it could be either one. It could be both. Verse 12, and there was much con complaining about among the people concerning him. Some said he's good. Others said, no, on the contrary, he deceives the people. So um, there's lots of talk among people. Some people think Jesus is good. Some people think, no, he's a liar. He's deceiving the people. Verse 13, however, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. So because the religious authorities have the power to flex, that they're the law enforcement. In the same way there's law enforcement in modern times, they're the religious law enforcement like we've talked about again and again. They laid out the law. They're not bound by it. They break it just like in modern times. Officers shoot people in the back and face no consequences. They kill unarmed people, face no consequences. Sometimes they lose their job, but then they aren't put in jail. They're not prosecuted. They're not convicted. They're not put to death. 
for those murders. Um, so they're not facing the same consequences that they dole out to other people. Similarly, the religious authorities do the same thing and Jesus calls them out for it, that they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not touch them at one of their fingers. It's the same thing. They're exempt from the laws they're enforcing on other people and they enforce them on other people so they themselves can be enriched by the citations of people breaking those laws. Now, in the relig religious sense that we've read, we're reading about in the Old Testament, as we call it, the fines would be, could be money, but it could be wine, it could be cattle, it could be sheep, it could be goats, it could be milk, it could be wine, it could be, um, it could be lots of different things. It's whatever the religious authorities tell you, you have to pay for breaking their laws. Just like in modern times, whatever it is you get sentenced to, that's what it is you have to pay. It could be money or it could be time behind bars or it could be probation. It could be lots of different things. It's this, it's the same thing in a different form and being enforced by different people. Uh, but it keeps the fear to pe keeps the fear on the people so that they're not openly discussing what it is that's on their mind. Verse 14. Now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. So although Jesus went there secretly, according to the narrator, and separately uh, from his brothers and sisters, according to the scriptures, he's not hiding. He went on up and openly is openly teaching right there in the temple. So he's not hiding. So most likely he did that for cover. He went up there secretly so that there wouldn't be a crowd following him, recognizing him and alerting the people who are hunting him down um, ahead of time. But instead, he took center stage, basically, it seems, and is teaching. So it's it's a little less likely, I guess, that they would run up into the temple and try and kill him right there. Although, I mean, you can't put that past them. They've tried to kill him at least once already, and we know the crucifixion lies ahead. Uh, but whatever the case may be, Jesus has shown up to the temple and he's teaching. Verse 15, I guess before we move on, one other thing that could, could be saying that Jesus could be showing us without telling us verbally is that when it comes to our Christian walk, regardless of what it is our brothers and sisters, our siblings, or anyone else is doing in the world, let them approach God, seek God, however it is they're going to seek it. If they think it's at going to the temple that's going to get them there, let them go to the temple to get there. The mosque, the synagogue, the tent, whatever it is that they think they're going, gonna, whatever it is they're doing that they think is going to help them find God, let them go ahead and do it. That doesn't mean we should go up there with them. We have to take our own paths as Jesus did and may end up in the same place, but uh, it's our path to take. And we shouldn't, I think what Jesus is showing, our path doesn't necessarily, uh, he tells us specifically, it's a narrow path. So don't expect there to be a throng of people on the same path when we go to seek God. There won't be. Jesus tells us narrow is the path and difficult is the way that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Whereas broad is the way it, uh, that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. So maybe that's sort of what Jesus is showing here with his actions as he teaches us with his words and he teaches us with his actions. Verse 15, and the Jews marveled saying, how does this man know letters having never studied? So again, probably the religious authorities, 
they're wondering how is it that he knows so much about uh i'll just say religion to make it plain um when he hasn't studied he hasn't been to school with us he hasn't studied under us he hasn't been one of our pupils he hasn't been one of our proselytes how is it that he knows anything about the big picture of things they're wondering verse 16 jesus answered them and said my doctrine is not mine but his who sent me so jesus isn't bashful he's answering them head on their questions about how does where's his knowledge come from and he's about to tell us in the only place in the bible other than the last chapter where we read it where he tells us what the will of god is jesus is about to tell us here in the only other place in the bible john chapter 6 john chapter 7 where he tells us what the actual will of god is and it's not it's not what churches will tell you it is. Jesus is gonna, it's not even what the scripture tells you it is. In one of the scriptures after Christianity, after the red letters, after the gospel, even one of the disciples tries to say that the will of God is that everyone comes to repentance. Jesus never said that. Here Jesus is telling us what the will of God is. And it's not that we come to repentance. Here it is here, verse seven. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. So we learned in the last chapter, verse chapter six of John, the will of God is that we have life um, and that we believe in him whom he sent. That's the work of God. The work of God is that we believe. So it's not anything that's going to make you sweat, any sort of work that you're going to break your back doing. The work of God is belief in the one whom he sent. That'd be Jesus. The will of God is that we have life that's what he said in john chapter 6 and now he's the only other place in the entire bible where jesus tells us what the will of god is is right here and that's that we know concerning the doctrine that's what the essence i believe of red letter christianity is is knowing concerning the doctrine knowing that everything in the bible is not the word of god everything in the bible is not christianity everything in the bible is not gospel again it doesn't mean you have to throw out the bible throw out all the other books, ignore all of this stuff. Doesn't mean that at all. It just means you should know. We should know concerning the doctrine. That means know the scripture, whether it's something God actually said, or if it's somebody just speaking off, uh, pulling stuff out of their rump. It's two different things. And they both may sound good to you. You may embrace them both. And just like I said, with um, what I mentioned earlier, the scripture I mentioned earlier about siblings, they may even apply it. They may even be true. That still doesn't make them gospel. And, and they definitely doesn't make them Christianity. And that's what Jesus is letting us hear, know here. If you want to do the will of God, you have to know, we have to know concerning the doctrine, whether it's, whether it's even from God. Um, and as simple as that sounds, it's a very, uh, and it actually is a simple thing to do. If it's not red letters, if Jesus didn't say it, it's not Christianity. And if it's not Christianity, it's probably not from God because Jesus tells us already no one's heard his voice or seen his form. So if Jesus didn't say it, then obviously it's not from God. It still may be advisable, still may be great uh, and um, uh, great things to know, may even still be true. It still doesn't make it gospel, still doesn't make it doctrine, and it definitely doesn't make it the word of God. So Jesus is saying that's what the will of God is, to know concerning the doctrine, so that we don't confuse anything else with what Jesus is saying, with what will save our souls. Verse 18, he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, 
but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true and no unrighteousness is in him. So Jesus is saying when you do listen to other people, whether in the pulpit or your parents or your friends or your own heart telling you, oh, well, this is right and this is wrong. You can listen to those things, those sources and stuff, but you got to know that's not from God. And it may actually be just someone trying to seek their own glory. Almost certainly it is when it's on the pulpit. They're just trying to get your donations, trying to get you to show up, trying to increase themselves and glorify themselves, which, hey, go for it. It seems lucrative. Many of those televangelists have multiple mansions, multiple vehicles, multiple airplanes, even fleets of them, even, and not to mention hundreds of millions of dollars. So it can pay to do all those things, but none of those things are what Christianity is. None of those things point to it being anything God said. And to know concerning the doctrine is to know whether Jesus said it or not as Christians. And to know that the one who is true is Jesus. He's the one who God sent. Even according to Jesus, verse 18, the one who he sent is true. And no unrighteousness is in him. So we know if we're sticking to the red letters, these things Jesus had to say, we know they're words that are actually in righteousness with no ulterior motives. So in that sense, it separates what Jesus says from everything else that we may hear or think or believe. And as Christians, that's the point. Verse 19, did not Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill? So um, Jesus is saying there, okay, you're thinking, since we're on the subject of doctrine, he's saying Moses gave you doctrine. And he's saying, you're not keeping that either. He gave you the law. And the law would be the Ten Commandments. There's lots of other statutes and ordinances that arose after those Ten Commandments. But the law, those commandments, are the only thing that uh, Moses, uh, that are for sure what Moses gave. When he went up the mountain, he came down with those Ten Commandments. He broke them because he was disappointed, upset with what the people were doing. He went back up the mountain and came back with those same Ten Commandments, not with all those other law, law ordinances and statutes that popped up later through religion and through men's doctrines and men's words and men's teachings that people still try to cling to in modern times, even though, again, the people who are pushing them don't even bother to abide by them. So they're not the same thing. And But even if they were, Jesus is showing here, Moses gave them laws and they don't keep those either. Because one of the laws, the big 10, is thou shalt not kill. Yet they're hunting Jesus down to try to kill him and eventually will. Uh, but that's not the only one. There's thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not steal, uh, thou shalt not kill. They're going to do all that they've, we've read in our other daily readings that that's exactly what the people have been doing again and again and again, even according to the scriptures being directed by God to do so. So that lets us know again, would God really be contradicting God? Would God really uh, say one thing today and then turn and say something else tomorrow that contradicts what was said before? Whether it's the thou shalt not covet, steal and kill, then telling them to covet the so-called promised land steal it from the people who live there, then massacre them. That's what we've read about. It's been happening in the Old Testament that um, in our other readings, but not just then. Also, no graven images. Don't make any gods for yourself. Then they're told to make a snake on a pole and look to that for healing. And it worked. So it's it doesn't seem likely that that would be God to be contradicting God's self. But as always, believe what you want, but it just doesn't 
Um, it's not it's not consistent. And why would God be inconsistent? Um, and one last thing about verse 19. Uh, you see it ends with me. Jesus is saying, uh, telling them they have the law of thou shalt not kill, yet they're trying to kill him. And if you read with me, read with me before, you know why I didn't say that last word, me, out loud as we're reading. Uh, Matthew 12, 37 is the quickest, easiest explanation for it. It's basically that um, our tongue has a way of manifesting things. So the things we say have power. Putting them out there will manifest them. Um, so if you read that out loud, like it says, don't be surprised if killing you ends up being your uh, in along your path. Verse 20, the people answered and said, you have a demon who's seeking to kill you. So now the people... It doesn't say the leaders, but it's saying the people are are, are accusing Jesus of being possessed with a demon and saying, who's trying to kill you? As if they don't know they've been hunting him down. In verse 21, Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work and you all marvel. So Jesus is saying here, he performed a miracle and it amazed everyone. Um, presumably it's when he turned the water into wine since that's the miracle done in Galilee that we read about previously. Um, and it amazed everyone because they were out of wine. Then all of a sudden, they went to Jesus. His mama asked him to let him know they were out of wine. And next thing you know, he's made more than enough wine. And it's the best wine that they've had at the party. So um, I think that's what, we're, what Jesus is reflecting on here in verse 21. So now verse 22. Moses therefore gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. So uh, Moses here, and I meant to say it before when, we, when it was referred to, Moses, the same Ten Commandments, Moses, the same one I was just talking about, who went up the mountain and two times came back with the Ten Commandments, that same Moses, which we've read about already. Um, and before I move on from there, uh, before I forget, uh, Moses, when in the encounter with, uh, I'll just say God, since that's how it reads, and then that's how the narrative reads in the Old Testament. When Moses was at the burning bush, he asked, uh, who shall I say sent me? And the, um, the voice from the burning bush says, I am. Tell them I am sent you. Um, so some preachers will say that that is uh, in in Hebrew, Yah, and that's how you get the name of Yah, Yah of God, saying that Yah is the name of God, or Yahweh, or Yahovah, or Yahweh. They're saying that that's how you get the name of God, because when Moses asked, what's your name? He said, I am that I am. It was the response that he got from the burning bush. And that seems more consistent with what Jesus said, um, uh, that no one had seen God at any time. Since it was a bush that was communicating, it was the mode of communi communication, the medium that Jesus, that God used to communicate with Moses at that point in that part of the narrative was a burning bush. It wasn't a physical presence. It wasn't face to face like it later says Moses um, communicated with God, um, but it was through a burning bush. So it's entirely possible in that part of the narrative that that was communicating with God but through some medium, some other um, way, like you talk with your friends on the phone. You're not talking with them face-to-face. -face. The medium is the phone. 
So in that case, the medium was the burning bush. So it's possible in that case that the messages were coming through that bush, presumably through some other force, some sort of angelic media intermediary or whatever. Uh, but the, the, I don't want to lose track of my thoughts. Um, the point of it is, remember Moses, although he was um, of Jewish descent, Hebrew descent, he um, was given up for adoption to save his life when he was a baby. So he was given up to the African people, to the Egyptians. And that's where he was raised um, in Pharaoh's palace, basically. So unless his sister was teaching him along the way, Miriam, he wouldn't know Hebrew. How would he know to speak Hebrew? So why would God speak to him in Hebrew? So saying that God's name is Yah, because Hebrew says that I am is Yah is I am in Hebrew. It doesn't seem likely to me since Moses probably wasn't speaking Hebrew at that time. And also, um, as far as I know, that wasn't even um, that wasn't necessarily even the language that was being spoken at that time. Um, I mean, it may have been, but it seems unlikely that Moses being brought up in Egypt among Egyptians would be speaking Hebrew. It's possible again, but it, I don't know. It doesn't seem likely. And even if it does, uh, and even if it is, that doesn't mean that that's the language that it would have been said in to Moses as he was brought up Egyptian. But that's uh, just a, a thought. Um, whatever the case may be, Jesus is showing us here again that everything in the Bible is not from God. Everything that was attributed to Moses wasn't Moses. Even though the first five books of the Bible, the Septuagint as it's called, or, or the Torah also, it's not all from Moses. We know that, for one, aside from what Jesus is saying, because Moses was gone by the end of, uh, what was it, the end of Exodus? He was already gone? No, not Exodus. Was it? Moses had already died, and yet there were books after him. I think it was Exodus. I think Moses died at the end of the book of Exodus. Yet there's three more books attributed to Moses after he's already dead. So they couldn't possibly all be from Moses' own words. Um, that's the first thing. But here also, as Christians, Jesus lets us know that everything that is attributed to Moses wasn't Moses saying it. He's saying it very clearly here, that circumcision was not something that came from Moses, but from the fathers, meaning the forefathers, meaning it's other people's um contributions to the religion. I, I guess that's the plainest way I can say it. So that an, another note to us, as far as red letter Christianity, everything in the Bible is not from God. It's not the entire, the entire Bible is not the word of God. We as Christians, the word of God for us is what Christ said. That's why it's called Christianity. It's these red letters. Um, so in the same way, circumcision wasn't from Moses. It's from the fathers. It's from the forefathers, not from Moses at all, even though it's attributed to Moses. And one last thing about that. People make a big deal about gender affirming care for transgender people in modern times. Yet we read Adam underwent what we call a surgery and he was created in the image of God, male and female. And from him, the female part was extracted and created Eve. I know that sounds crazy and controversial to Bible thumpers, but it's how it reads. It's right there in Genesis. So even though people will tell you otherwise, it's right there in the Bible. It's right there in the scripture. 
um, and and they'll be offended by transgender people having gender affirming surgeries. And they, they pretend like it's just uh, when the kids do it, even though most kids aren't even getting it, even though transgender people are only about one to 3% of the entire population. So it's not like it's happening on every corner. Um, yet we read here, and this is a, a, a surgery. That's what circumcision is. It's changing the nat the body you're born with, born with naturally. And yet Bible thumpers have no problem with that, cutting off the part of the penis. No problem with that, but they have a problem with it if it's to affirm your own choices. Circumcision is done to babies, children, who have no choice in the matter. And yet Bible thumpers get upset when people who make the choice to have those alterations to their genitals done. It's just such hypocrisy and it's so sick. It's just, it's, it's crazy that so many people get roped into following nonsense, even though it contradicts, they call themselves Christians or even God-fearing, and yet it contradicts what's written right here in the Bible. But back to verse 22, Jesus is talking about the circumcision. In case you don't know what that is, that's when the foreskin of the penis is cut off. Um, in the Bible, it's for religious reasons, but in, re in besides that, in general, it can be for uh, hygiene reasons or um, health reasons. You can get it uh, removed because uh, it turns out all that extra skin holds bacteria and you're more likely to get infections if you have all that extra skin, including STDs or STIs as they're called now. Um, sexually transmitted infections because the bacteria will live in that skin, grow, multiply, and get you sick. So um, that's another reason people have circumcisions also besides without any religious convictions. But that's what circumcision is. And that's what Jesus is referring to here in verse 22. And he's referring back to uh, Moses and the circumcision in the Old Testament, as we call it. Verse 23, if a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? So Jesus is saying, if it's okay with you, uh, with your, with you to alter the body that you're born with, to adhere to religious uh, ordinances uh, attributed to Moses, even though they're not actually from Moses, Jesus just made that clear. Um, then what's your beef with Jesus for making someone completely well physically? So now Jesus isn't talking. I guess that makes it clear. Jesus isn't talking about when he made the water wine. He's talking about a physical healing that he did for someone. Someone um, who uh, most likely, if I'm thinking, if I'm, I'd have to look back to be sure. But Jesus, Jesus has performed other miracles, whether it's uh, healing the blind or um, or um, healing people who are maimed or lame or deformed. He's done all those different miracles throughout the Gospels. So he could be referring to any of those, but clearly he wasn't referring to the um, water being turned to wine, because he's talking here in verse 23 about making a man completely well on the Sabbath. So he's clearly talking about some um, physical healings that he performed on, some, on someone that they're well aware of. And he's asking him, what's your beef? What's the problem? You have no problem with someone altering their body to adhere to your religious rules, even down to surgeries and cutting off parts of their body that they were born with, that God created them with. You have no problem with that. But you do have a problem with Jesus making someone completely well. He's calling out the hypocrisy of it all. Verse 24, do not judge according to appearance, 
but judge with righteous judgment. Jesus is saying there, don't judge what you see. Don't don't judge. Don't use your eyes to judge what's going on. Use righteousness to judge what's going on. Be uh, righteous in our judgments. Don't be ridiculous. Verse 25. Now, some of them from Jerusalem said, is this not he whom they seek to kill? So that makes it clear right there. This isn't red letter. It's the narrator letting us know that among the crowd, some of them already know they are trying to kill Jesus. So even though they just told him, you have a demon who's trying to kill you, the crowd even knows they are trying to kill him. So that's why they're wondering, well, they're trying to kill him, but it's not stopping him from his message, from spreading his message. It's not stopping him from boldly teaching. Verse 26, but look, he speaks boldly and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? So the people are wondering. They're like, well, they are trying to kill him. And yet that's not stopping his mission. That's not stopping the rest suppressing thing. He's still right up there preaching and teaching and challenging them. And what it is they're thumping their holy books about. Uh, it's not stopping him. So do they actually know, even though they're opposing him, do they actually know that in reality he is the fulfillment of, the, fulfillment of those scriptures what we call the old testament the people are wondering are the rulers just trying to fool us to keep us coming and paying them off paying their fines keeping them enriched verse 27 however we know where this man is from but when the christ comes no one know, knows where he's from so the people are referring to scriptures that they know that they recognize they're saying they know where jesus is from nazareth or um Bethlehem or Galilee well they probably don't recognize that he's from Bethlehem because that was to uh, according to the nativity to save his life um, his parents moved around to keep him protected uh, according to the scriptures with divine um, uh, leading they did that um, but the people almost certainly know that he was brought up in Nazareth so they're saying well we know where he's from we know his family so um, according to the scriptures no one's going to know where the anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah is from. So in reality, they don't realize it, but they don't know where he's from. They think he's from Nazareth. They don't know where he's from. So in a sense, both are true. They don't know where he's from, and yet he is that one. Verse 28, then Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple, saying, You both know me, and you know where I'm from. And I've not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. Wow, so just like I was saying, it turns out both are true. They know him and where he's from, so they know his hometown, they know he's from Nazareth, and yet at the same time, they don't know where he's actually from. They don't know he's from on high, and although preachers will try and tell you, oh, we were all with God at once, and then he sent the souls down here to be born of woman and all of that stuff, it's a lie. Jesus made it clear no one has seen the Father, um, heard his voice, or seen his form. So if we were with God before, were we blind with God? We didn't see him. We just walked around and didn't hurt him. It doesn't make any sense. It's contradictory to what Jesus himself is telling us as Christians. And Jesus is making it clear here that both are true. They know where he was born and brought up. And at the same time, they don't know that he's actually from on high, that he's the one, the sent one, the anointed one, the Christ. And, um, and the one who sent him is true, whom they do not know, meaning God is the one who sent Jesus um, to us to save us, and they don't know him. So um, again, affirming that 
we're not from up there, even though people will try and tell you again and again. Jesus tells us no one is ascended to heaven, uh, but he who came down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven, meaning Jesus. That's the only one, not everyone, only him. And preachers will twist that around and get people to believe it anyway, even though it's contrary to what we were reading right here in black and white and red. Um, verse 29, but I know him for I'm from him and he sent me. So Jesus is saying, uh, you don't know where I'm from, God Almighty, but I know where I'm from and I know him, God Almighty, and he sent me. So he's saying he's there on a mission sent by God. It's not like he came here on his own. He's not out preaching on his own, um, spreading his own message or trying to gain notoriety for himself or following for himself um, for his own benefit. He's doing it because that's what he was sent here to do, the message he was sent here to bring. Verse 30, therefore they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. So he set them off with the things he was saying, um, and they wanted to get him, but they didn't dare touch him at that time. Um, and the narrator here is saying, because his hour had not yet come, meaning it wasn't the, Jesus hadn't reached that point in his path. Like I've said before, we have paths laid out, I believe, um, paths that lead upwards and paths that lead downwards, paths that lead to heaven, paths that lead to hell. And it's up to us to choose which paths we want to take, but they're already right there. And God can see them right there and watches, it seems, to see which paths we'll choose, whether we'll choose righteousness or wickedness, whether we'll cast our net on the right side of the boat or the wrong side of the boat. Of the boat. Um, that seems to be the mystery of what it is, one of the things God doesn't know that God likes to watch for and see. Um, verse 31, and many of the people believed in him and said, when the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these which this man has done? So some of the people in the crowd are wondering, well, even if he's not the Savior, if he's not the Christ, if he's not the one spoken of in the scriptures, prophesied to come in the scriptures, who's supposed to be grand and fabulous and do all these things, then um, look out for the one who is because they're going to have to do even more than what Jesus did. And then 2,000 years later, just about, no one has even come close to performing nearly any of the things Jesus did, much less a message even close to what it is Jesus did. And the people are recognizing that. They're like, well, if he's not Christ, then uh, the Christ is going to have some pretty big shoes to fill because Jesus is, is checking off all these other things that say that he is the one. Verse 32, the Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. So the Pharisees are the religious leaders, the religious authorities um, who are gone now. And Jesus pre uh, prophesied that they would be gone. That's the fig tree generation, even though preachers will try and twist it and say it's now. No, the fig tree generation was the generation that Jesus showed up to then expecting to find righteousness, but didn't find any. They were out of season. They were supposed to be bearing fruit. They weren't. He went there seeking fruit on, from them and found none. The same way he went to the fig tree, physical fig, fig tree, looking for fruit on it, even though it wasn't the season for figs and didn't find any. And then cursed it and said, no, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. That was the Pharisees. It was that generation. Their, that branch of the religion Jesus was born into became extinct after Jesus 
ministry after they rejected Jesus and his ministry uh, with around 70 AD, like we went over before with Titus um, besieging the city, conquering the city, and flattening the temple, uh, raising it to the ground. Uh, like Jesus said, leaving not one stone upon another, um, fulfilling what we call Old Testament prophecy. It's those same Pharisees. And they're, um, they hear what the crowd is saying. And so they figure, well, we better go ahead and get Jesus now because they can tell the people are being persuaded by him. Verse 33, then Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer. And then I go to him who sent me. So the Pharisees, the religious leaders, have sent officers to arrest Jesus because they want him out of the way. He's interrupting the flow of their commerce, of their religion. And um, that's what they've done. They've turned finding God into a business. They've turned our father's house into a marketplace. It's uh, all about the money for them. And it's the same thing that was happening in the Old Testament when it was being established. And now Jesus has come to turn it out and overturn it and let people know, no, 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 that's not righteousness. That's not religion. I mean, that's not righteousness. That's not godliness. That's not what God wants from you. That system they've set up, uh, that's not what finding God is about at all. Um, so um, those that same religion is sending officers to arrest Jesus and he confronts them head on and lets them know his mission isn't through yet. He's going to be with them a little while longer, and then he's going to head back home on high um, the one to the one who sent him, to God, basically. Um, again, shows us that we're not all from God, uh, even though preachers will tell you otherwise. Jesus was. Jesus is. And he's letting them know his mission has a little bit longer to go, so uh, now's not the time to arrest him. Verse 34, you will seek me and not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. So he's prophesying now. Oh, Jesus is giving a prophecy to the officers who've, who've gone there to arrest him, letting them know uh, there's going to be a time coming where you're going to look for me and you're not going to be able to find me. They found him right there. So he's not talking about physically finding him, I believe. He's talking in the spiritual sense, in the righteous sense. There's going to be a time coming once they've crucified him, he's resurrected and ascended. Where they're not going to be able to find him, even though then they'll be fully persuaded. It's going to be too late. He's gone, be gone. It's too late. They won't be able to find him. And where he's at, they won't be able to get to. Verse 35, then the Jews said among themselves, where does he intend to go that we shall not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? So now the religious leaders, the authorities, are saying, who does he think he is and where does he think he's going to go that we won't be able to find him? So they're thinking, well, maybe he'll go to another country, to Greece, and go there and preach the dispersed people. Because remember, in what we're reading in the Old Testament, when the Assyrians conquered the kingdoms of Judah and Israel, they took some of them captive to their own lands and even made resettled them in other countries, other people's lands, who they also conquered and resettled them in other places. So um, among those places, the dispersion as they're called, um, the same way there's an African diaspora of people who are descendants of enslaved people in um, American history, it's considered a diaspora because they were taken from one place and moved to another by force. Um, we African-Americans, black people in uh, modern times 
are part of that, of that diaspora. Um, and also, some of us, part of the uh, um, Jewish diaspora also. Even though people generally think of Jewish people as a certain complexion, that's not the case at all. Remember, all these events in the Old Testament and even to this point are happening in a part of the world that's just outside of Africa. And not only is it outside of Africa, the people themselves were in Africa for four centuries, more than four centuries from early on. So it's almost certain that the mixed multitude that left during the Exodus were not all one complexion, were not homogenous in their appearances. So Greece is another place where some of the diaspora were, presumably from the Assyrians or even the Babylonian captivities and conquering of the nations. Um, so they know there's some people there also, and they, they're wondering, well, maybe Jesus is going to go to Greece and teach some of us that are there. Verse 36, what is this thing that he said, well, you will seek me and not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. So they're reflecting on what the message that Jesus gave when they went to arrest him and trying to figure it out what he was taught, saying when he said they would seek him and not find him. And then where he is, they won't be able to get to. Verse 37, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So Jesus is um, now once again standing up boldly and proclaiming a message to people, letting them know. If you thirst for righteousness, if it, if you are seeking that living water, it's like I called my page when I had my website. If you're seeking that that um, refreshment, Jesus is saying he's the source. He's the fountain. That's who you should go to. He's that river. He has that living water. And if you're thirsty, come to him and drink. Verse 38, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So Jesus is saying, in finding him, that's how we find that refreshment. That's how we find that living water. That's how we find relief through Christ, these red letters. Verse 39, but this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So the narrator now, because this isn't red letters, verse 39 is not is letting us know that Jesus is referring to, uh, when it comes to the living water, he's referring to the Holy Spirit, in that when um, we as Christians are um, converted, I guess would be the word, when we find Christianity, that that's, that would be our way of having, like we read before in John chapter 3, that's where that rebirth, that born again comes from, the birth of the Spirit. That's where... Um, uh, we as Christians have, that's that living water that we have to refresh us and sustain us through our Christian walk. And the narrator there in verse uh, 39 is letting us know that the Holy Spirit was not shared yet because um, Jesus hadn't been glorified yet. Jesus hadn't experienced the crucifixion and the resurrection and the ascension yet. Um Verse 40. Now, whether that's the case or not, not real clear, because um, there has, didn't Jesus, um, Jesus did say something about the Holy Spirit before then. Oh, yeah. Um, when, just before the crucifixion, when, um, not even before the crucifixion, but way before the crucifixion, when 
um, he asked the disciples, who, who, who do the crowds say that I am? And they said, some say some of the, one of the old prophets or John the Baptist. And he asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter uh, says the same, Simon Peter says, um, you're Christ of God. And Jesus tells him that hasn't been revealed to him by flesh and blood, but the Holy Spirit is what's revealed that to him. Um, so that lets us know, according to Jesus, red letters, the Holy Spirit had been at least partially imparted or at least actively um, uh, working before the crucifixion and before the resurrection and before the ascension. Um, but so take 39 with a grain of salt. It's not red letters. It's not Jesus saying, but it is one of the disciples saying that the Holy Spirit had not yet been given. But like I just said, we had an example when the Holy Spirit spoke through Peter. So that may or may not be true. Verse 39, that is. Verse 40, therefore, many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, truly, this is the prophet. So the crowd is persuaded enough by Jesus words and his actions to believe he's something someone special though in verse 40 they think he's the prophet they're speculating that he's the prophet meaning the one from old testament scripture as we call it old testament from old testament scripture they believe he's the one who was going to appear before the coming of the anointed one before the coming of christ before the messiah um such as in the book of malachi where um, the prophecy says, I'll send um, Elijah. Um, so they, they believe um, before the coming great, uh, before the uh, great and terrible day of the Lord. Um, and I'm paraphrasing it there, but it's from the book of Malachi in the Old Testament that um, there be basically be an opening act before the Messiah comes. Now we as Christians read it in the gospels, at least I, understand that to have been fulfilled with John the Baptist being Elijah, the one uh, reincarnated as John the Baptist, to put it plainly. Um, so he's not the prophet, but they think that that's, that's the prophet they think he is. Verse 41, others said, this is the Christ. But some say, will the Christ come out of Galilee? So some think he's that prophet who is going to be the opening act. Others believe, no, he is the Christ. He's the anointed one. He's the main act. Um, so, but then others are contradicting him or at least questioning that saying, but the, the scriptures, um, the scriptures don't say that the Christ is coming out of Galilee. Verse 42. Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? So the people are still trying to figure it out and they're reflecting back on scriptures that have the prophecies and they, they're saying they know in those prophecies that Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, is supposed to be a descendant of David. That's the Old Testament, King David, David and Goliath, David. Um, so they know that part of the scripture. And there's and they, they're saying, according to those scriptures, the Messiah is supposed to come from a specific area, from Bethlehem, where David was. So um, again, as far as they know, Jesus is from Nazareth. But again, he wasn't from Nazareth. He was born in Bethlehem and the family relocated to Nazareth to keep him safe. Because remember, there was the massacre of the innocents, where the, uh, as it's called, where um, the king uh, killed off all the kids who were born around the time that Jesus was born to keep that prophecy from coming true, to keep himself from being dethroned by the new king that, was, that even people from the Far East were coming to 
greet and welcome into the world. Um, so the generally speaking, they think Jesus is from Nazareth since that's where he was brought up at. But according to what we've read in the nativity, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Um, so the people don't realize that. Um, that he also checked off that box when it comes to the scripture that says that Messiah, the Christ, would be born in Bethlehem. Verse 43, so there was a division among the people because of him. So because they aren't, they don't know where he's from, just like Jesus said earlier, they aren't sure about what, who Jesus is or what he is, but they know his actions, they've seen his miracles, and they've heard his preaching. Verse 44, now some of them wanted to take him but no one laid hands on him. So it's not a unanimous crowd of support that Jesus receives pretty much ever during the, during his ministry or even in modern times, obviously in modern times. Um, so it was nothing new back then either. Um, not everyone's accepting him. And some still wanting to take him, um, but no one actually took him at that point. Verse 45, then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why have you not brought him? So remember, they sent them out to go arrest Jesus. And now the officers have returned to the religious leaders and they're asking him, uh, where's the where's the prisoner? Why haven't you taken him into custody? Didn't we tell you to go get him? Why have you not brought him? Verse 46, the officers answered, no man ever spoke like this man. So the officers didn't answer their question about why they hadn't brought him. Well, I guess in a roundabout way they did. They're saying they haven't ever heard anyone deliver a message that the message that Jesus is delivering. And he's one of a kind. Verse 47, then the Pharisees answered them, are you also deceived? So now the Pharisees, the religious leaders, are asking their officers, have you been fooled too? Did he convince you too? Are you snowed also? Verse 48. Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? Oh, I'm sorry. Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? So they're saying, they're basically calling them fools. And they're saying, look, we who know what the scriptures say, don't believe he is who he's who, who y'all think he is. Um, he hasn't fooled us and he hasn't fooled the rulers. So um, I guess he's fooled y'all is basically what they're saying to them. Verse 49. But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. So the the religious leaders, just like in modern times, Bible thumpers, if you oppose what it is they're preaching and teaching, they'll call you demonic. They'll call you evil. They'll call you antichrist. They'll call you all sorts of things, even though they're the ones uh, uh, contradicting what it is Jesus himself says. Um, don't let that bother you. But um, they're saying they're accursed. They're saying they don't know what the scripture says. They don't know what it is they're supposed to be looking for. Pretty much, they're basically saying they only know what we tell them. And, we're, and uh, we know what's really up. And we don't believe in him, is what they're saying. Um, and they're saying they're even accursed um, with their ignorance. Verse 50, Nicodemus, he who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them. So um, Nicodemus is one of them. He's one of the religious leaders. Um he went to Jesus, and we read about that. Um, that's where the whole born again um, passage is, where um, Jesus lets us know that we as humans have the first birth, where we're born of the water, born of the flesh. When the war woman's water breaks, the baby is born. 
um, that's the first birth. He let us know also, um, not everyone will get it, but there's a second birth, the rebirth, to be born again. That's the birth of the spirit, and not everyone has that second birth. And um, everyone can, but not everyone does. Um, so in that sense, uh, that's the same Nicodemus who had that conversation with Jesus in John chapter 3, that one of the most popular, famous verses in the Bible, with for God so loved the world, that chapter. Um, that's the same Nicodemus. He's one of the religious leaders. He's among the people who are hunting Jesus, even though he himself is not. He is actually looking for truth. That's why he went to Jesus that time and had that conversation. It's that same Nicodemus we're uh, being referred to here in verse 50. He says in verse 51, does our law judge a man before he hears him and knows what he's doing? So Nicodemus is asking him, oh, what are y'all up to? How is it you're already trying to pass judgment on somebody and you don't even know what he's, um, what he's up to, what he's doing? Is that how our law works? Is that righteousness? He's questioning them, asking them, is that what uh, our law is all about? Verse 52, they answered and said to him, are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. So now they're clowning him. They're being sassy. They're asking Nicodemus, you're from the same place he is too? So again, he's not from Galilee. He might have been born or raised in Nazareth and um, well known in Galilee. But he was born in Bethlehem. They just don't realize that because uh, all the kids in Bethlehem were murdered. So um, it's hard. It would be hard for them to believe someone Jesus' age was born in Bethlehem because, again, they were massacred. So they're asking Nicodemus. They're clowning him, asking him, oh, are you from the same place he is? And they're saying, look, search through the scriptures and you'll see. Ain't no prophet going to be coming out of, out of Galilee Um before the coming of the Messiah, that the Messiah is not going to be coming from Galilee. And they're basically, again, they're clowning him, saying, are you from there too? Verse 53, and everyone went to his own house. So Nicodemus tried to interject a little uh, logic into their uh, bloodthirsty pursuit of Jesus, trying to basically tell them, wait, 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 wait. Let's at least see what it is he's doing, hear what it is he's saying before we condemn him to death. Um, but they're letting him know they don't want to hear it. Take your advice and stuff it. Because um, there's, according to our understanding of the scripture, he's the, the Messiah is not coming from Galilee. And since we know he's from Galilee, he's not the Messiah. But again, they're mistaken. They don't know it. They're wrong. Um, same way modern day Bible thumpers will bark a message at you and be completely wrong. That was the last verse in this chapter. So that's where we'll end this reading. I love you for joining me for the Naked Truth and hope you'll join me again. Stay safe. God bless you. And I'll see you next time. Peace be with you.